How's it going, everybody, and welcome to episode number 52 of Master My Garden Podcast. Now, this week's episode is talking about a, I suppose it's a sort of impending crisis that's in the horticultural industry in Ireland, where peat that has traditionally been used for the growing of, you know, all the plants that we see in our garden centers and, you know, nurseries around the country. And it's not going to be available for the for the growing season of 2021, which came as a bit of a shock to the industry um, back in December there. And to talk about this and to look at, you know, the sort of reasonings behind it and maybe look at options, because obviously peat in some people's eyes is a bit of a controversial growing media anyway. But we'll look at the other options that are there and maybe we'll see that those options that we think are available to people on a wide scale are not as good as you possibly might think. So we're going to look at it in, in great detail. And to join me on this week's podcast is Matthew Lone. Matthew is a nursery grower himself with Woodstock Nurseries. And Woodstock and Matthew would be part of a wider group called the Kildare Growers Group, who are predominantly based in the Kildare area, area and would re- represent quite a big percentage of the nursery stock grown around Ireland. So, Matthew, you're very, very welcome to Master My Garden Podcast. Thank you very much, John. Good to be here. Yeah, so, I, as I said, I don't know if I used too strong of a word there, but uh, I said impending crisis, but... I suppose for you guys, mm. it's a bit of a, a worrying time. So for people who don't know the sort of backstory of it, maybe just tell us a little bit about what is actually happening first, and then we'll get into the reasoning and, and, and options available. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, you're right to, to, to an extent, and I was trying to formulate my thoughts on this over the last number of weeks, John, and this has kind of come upon our industry a little bit out of the blue, essentially because, look, we're all kind of entrepreneurs and we're all trying to run our own businesses and we have our head buried in the sand sometimes. And we maybe didn't see this coming, but to be fair to growers, I don't think some of the peat industry seen this coming either. Where we are at the minute, it's exactly as you said, John. Come March, we have no supply of peat from people, but possibly from other suppliers as well. And I suppose the reason behind it is that there's been a number of these cases taken over the last number of years that have kind of come to a head in the last six months. And as a consequence of that, um, there was no licensing or planning available to the peat companies to extract peat for harvesting for horticultural use in this country. So no peat has been harvested in 2020. The peat that we have been using and putting our plants into in the last number of months has been from reserves that were harvested in previous years. Um, and now we're coming to an end of those reserves and no peat is going to be harvested. Um, it looks like in, in the next few years, um, and that's where we are. Um, I mean, I suppose we can talk a little bit, John, and give the listeners a little bit of a background as, as to kind of how the legal case came about. Um Essentially, look, this started this started a number of years ago, I think back in 2013, when a case was brought to um, board Planola, and it was in relation to the lack of planning for peat harvesting. Okay. So this was from, I think it was, uh, Friends of the Environment Ireland brought, brought this case. And look, at, I will go as well. I would agree with a lot of the argument in terms of the reasons why some of these cases have been brought in terms of protecting Irish bogs, protecting the environment, and making sure that we manage our countryside in a sustainable uh, manner. Um, our view has always been kind of the whole way along has been that, you know, burning peace for electricity production or perhaps burning even turf 
for heat is an unsustainable and, and it's an unwise use of a natural resource that we have. Mm-hmm. And somewhere along the line, horticultural production has kind of been tossed into that pot with you know peat burning and turf burning and briquette manufacturing, and we've kind of been hoping we're going victim. Yes, essentially, and possibly, possibly there. Yeah. Yeah, like there, there's no doubt about it. Burning peat for the production of electricity is like, in terms of in terms of a world moving forward, like that is just not. It's not uh, where we should be today. Um, technologies around the world have moved on so much past that. So yeah, and and as you say, then if horticulture is getting lumped into the same sort of category, while obviously the peat has to be harvested from a bog to be used in horticulture. There's a huge difference when you look at the, you know, the the, the chain of peat that's going to be used yeah. in a ESB station or a, a power station, and the peat that will go into a pot that will eventually become a plant sown in somebody's garden. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I've never seen one figure there. A while back when I was looking into this, I think you know the Bordemont's peat harvest from 1995. The peat harvest in that year alone would have been enough to sustain the horticulture industry for 200 years. So, you know, we're talking about very different things in terms of, you know, peat extraction for burning and peat harvesting for the horticultural industry. Yeah. They're, they're two very, very separate things in my mind, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, the, the, the outcome, and I, I, I don't know the science of it, but the outcome of, of, of a cubic meter of peat that's taken out for you know, production of electricity, it's taken out, it's burned and is yeah. the the smoke goes up in the air and that's that's that has to be a negative, um, no matter what way you look at it. As opposed to a cubic meter that is used to cr- raise plants, to raise shrubs and trees that will eventually go into somebody's garden, that will grow, that will fix carbon, be good for the environment, attract pollinators and and all of those benefits that come with a plant so yeah to yeah. To, to, to have the two of them sort of lumped together it doesn't seem like logical thinking no no it certainly doesn't and look at i suppose i'm a second generation grower john um my dad set up the nursery in 1990 and you know i'm I'm almost 38, so I would consider myself to be a generation that almost straddled two worlds in this country. You know, I, I'm i old enough to remember how horticulture and how business and you know, how it, it was done, yeah. you know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And I understand, you know, that the environment was not... It was not a topic of conversation. It wasn't even something. It wasn't even something that was top of the list. It wasn't even talked about much, you know. Yeah, that's a and then I see on the other side. Then I see, you know, maybe the people who were born a few years after me, and the discussions that have started in the younger cohort in particular, and the importance of the environment, and now how that conversation has now become front and center in many, many people's minds. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of vari- variables involved in the environment and protecting our environment. And there is not one single sweeping approach that we can do to sustain and protect our environment. There's a lot of different things that need to be considered. And, you know, what I always considered what I did to be a very green, uh, it was a very green industry that I work in. You know, I'm very, you know, I tell my wife when I go to work in the morning, I'm happiest when I go out in a frosty morning and I'm pruning my trees and I see wildlife all around me. I'm, I'm immersed in the environment and I, I absolutely love what I do. I grow trees, I grow plants, as you say, I grow plants for pollinators. So 
I feel very connected to the environment and what I do, John, and I would be quite passionate about protecting the environment and, you know, for my own children and years to come, I'd be quite worried about what's happening down the line. But in terms of the, the peace issue, I would consider what we do to be helping the environment in a long-term way. And the cases that were taken, you know, in the Supreme Court and ultimately in the High Court were taken for a reason, okay? The, the Supreme Court and the High Court in, essentially said that the harvesting and extraction of peas in Ireland was, was pretty much deemed illegal because there was no planning permission mm-hmm. and the planning process was flawed. So, in essence, peat harvesting has been suspended um, for the last year. In July, there was a ruling, funny enough, there was a ruling about a quarry and planning permission for a quarry in July that essentially that is what has the ruling on the quarry is what has quashed peat harvesting in this, this country because it's essentially changed how planning and retention of planning in environmental impact assessment areas can be treated. Okay. And what happens is now is peat cannot be harvested without a very, very extensive planning process, which must include um, local input and you know input from the community. That kind of took a lot of people on a way. So... Where we are now at the minute is probably for the next, could be as far as six years, that's how long it might take for the peat companies to be able to get their house in order to get planning for any peat extraction in the future. So just coming back to that environmental issue, I agree fully with the legislative changes that were introduced to protect the Irish environment. But what's happened is perhaps somewhere along the line, somebody hasn't seen the wider picture and said, hold on a minute, is there is there a consequence of our actions here in terms of that something like a very green industry, an industry that is growing plants and trees for our local environment, could be a victim of, of, of what, what's happened in the courtroom? Um, that's where we are, and that's why growers now are kind of we're wondering what we need to do, and we're wondering how, how we can move forward and how the government and legislative changes that need to come can be enacted quickly to allow our industry to continue doing what we do and continue to help the environment. Yeah, for sure. And where where exactly is things at the moment? So we're, we're now in January. You guys yeah. you guys do, well, most nurseries do sort of potting on it a couple of times of the year and you'd be due to do some of that probably in, in March again or April. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, well, I one of the big points as well before we get into that is you kind of received the double whammy in December, John, in terms of the fact that for the Mona, who are obviously the main piece um harvest this they have it for a very time, you know, yeah. and for the Mona the supplier to most growers, they sent communication out to growers in early December stating that they were to have peace for the industry at the market. For that, they had actually communicated to the industry that have peace no problem for twenty twenty one. So that communication came as a bit of a blue. So yeah. we had we had ordered plants and we had ordered different things. We had a cycle planned. You're right. We would think about starting potting from the end of January. Um, that's that's you know we so I'd be potting trees. Think of trees here on our own. Um, so they need to go into peace in about three weeks. I have some peat on. World Water will be delivering some peat to me, and then. Within the next two or three deliveries, that's it. I don't know where I'm going to get it. Those major plants that we talk about, you know, hedging and all those perennials and the pollinators and all those plants, 
I don't know where I'm going to get my peat from at the minute to pot those up. So garden centres, landscapers who are looking for plants, Irish grown plants in the summer, we cannot say that we we guarantee production yet. We're working on it. Um, so just to take a step back, so essentially you guys were aware that at some point um, peat was going to become an issue, but you had sort of guarantees for, for the 2021 calendar year. Uh, yeah. and possibly into 2022 and then yeah. in december of 20 that changed and effectively now from from march of 21 you guys don't have access to peat yes and, that's 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 right so that's that's a that's a pretty and and in terms of windows that's a very very short window to sort of get set up to make to have a look at alternatives and we'll talk about possible alternatives in a moment but yeah. that's a very very short window to sort of it is, it is. I Gather. mean, I suppose the equivalent you might look at would be if legislation was enacted in December stating that all single all combustion engines will be banned by March. You know, it's it's almost it's almost a similar process whereby that can't happen because there's no infrastructure in place to roll out electric vehicles to the nation within three months. Yeah. You know, with the peak crisis, there is no infrastructure in place in this country to bring in sustainable alternatives to service the Irish industry within that short space of time. You know, is we are in Kildare, as we said, we're part of the Kildare Growers. Yeah, so look, John, I mean, essentially the Kildare Growers, it was established in 1984 and probably the main reason that it came about and it became the Kildare Growers was because the nursery, hardy nursery stock industry was in its infancy and it kind of developed mainly because of a lot of research that was going on around Lullymore uh, at the time in terms of growing plants in a novel product at the time, which was peat. You know, plants in this country were really traditionally grown in open ground up to that point in small numbers. And we realised, and the industry realised, that by utilising some of the very good quality peat, Irish peat, that we could grow plants in containers as opposed to open ground very quickly. And the industry kind of developed and was born at that time, and it emanated out from Lullymore and Kildare, and the people involved at that time slowly started developing their own, own nurseries and set up their nurseries based upon a container growing system utilising Irish, good quality Irish peat. And it kind of revolutionised how we grow plants in this country and it, it really meant that we could grow large quantities of trees and plants um, for the Irish market very, very quickly. So that's kind of how, you know, the I suppose what you might call the dependency on peat started. It, it's, it, it came about through research and it came about because there is no product like peat. There is no alternative that has the qualities of peat and that can produce a consistent economic crop the way peat does. Yeah, and I suppose actually just to, to go back slightly, it, it that is uh, I, I covered an episode a few weeks back on bare root planting, and and mm. you know during that conversation, if you went back thirty years ago, the majority of plants traded in the country when may, maybe thirty years is not right, but if the existence of plants and buying and selling of plants was all bare root and open ground until yeah. containerization and you know and started to come about and what that has yeah. meant is that the, the the plants that people were able to plant pretty much 12 months of the year would not be possible yeah. without that change having happened at that time so um absolutely garden centers as you know them today um would change radically if, if something like that was was missing now 
The, for sure. Well, my dad, my dad always used to say, John. He remembers, you know, the early nursery people. You know, they used to they used to take horticultural trips to the graveyards to take cuttings because <laughs> it was the only place you could get nice ornamental plants. Because ornamentals didn't exist. You know, yeah. you, you're not going to grow hebes in open ground or things like that. So they just didn't exist in Ireland yeah. back then. You know? Now, obviously, what what I'm painting there is is a scenario that wouldn't happen because basically, you know, Dutch growers and, and other mm-hmm. growers around the world are using peat and peat mixes so so they would continue and would be able to continue um, to supply product so to, to to sort of hinder irish growers from one of the main things that they need seems like uh, you know very a very short-sighted way of having acting on something that's supposed to be positive for the environment now it, it's yeah and, um, and and I suppose the, the the flip side of that then as we start to talk about alternatives is that if tomorrow you guys could not get peat um Irish Irish peat you would have to source something else and and this is where yeah. it gets a bit funny because a lot of people when they talk about peat harvesting and they they you know you, there's a lot of people now who are very noisy about we should not be using peat products. You know, a lot of mm. gardeners, a lot of you know personalities saying things like that that we should be using recycled material and uh, other products, and and that's understandable in one way, in that you know they're they're thinking of it from the right point of view. But to to think of it from an industry perspective, the the options that could potentially be available are bringing in peat from somewhere like Lithuania or Latvia. And yep. you have huge, obviously, transport, both costs and environmental impact of, of transporting that. Um, yep. Other options, green waste that's turned into compost. Well, the issues there are that is a very good compost and it's a very good mm-hmm. compost for somebody to use in their garden. Or if they're creating their own, their own compost within their garden, it's a great, a great thing to be doing. But mm. in terms of what you guys need for an industry, it's not it's not a solid enough you know it's it's too changeable so it's not consistent yeah it's, it's not, not consistent yeah and then the other one that a lot of gardeners actually say you should you should be using a more sustainable product like coir well okay coir is a byproduct so on the one hand it is sustainable but if you look at where coir has to come from mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's coming from south america and places like that so again by the time it lands here how envir- environmentally friendly is coir you know from an yeah. from an irish or, or a uk perspective it's not very environmental so yeah is that the sort of challenges that you guys would had would have if you had if you were trying to move away from a peat-based growing system that, that's it that's exactly it so look obviously this this topic has kind of consumed our thoughts over the last number of weeks when we realized what's happening and We've been forced to address all of these issues, John. So I've looked at a lot of products and I've looked at them with an open mind. As I said, I have an environmental hat on all the time and I really do care about the environment. So I looked at this with an open mind and I said, yeah, if we can do something to replace Irish peat, let's let's kind of use it as an opportunity to kick off. But I mean, there's issues. All of those things you said, you know, bark, composite bark, green waste, coir, Baltic peat, they are all usable to a point. Mm-hmm. but they are only usable to a point. There are issues with them all. Um, all of them also really rely on mixing with peat to be anyways use, useful to our industry. So Baltic peat, for example, that's that's probably 
the front runner in terms of an alternative at the minute um, if we cannot get access to Irish peat. So what would we do to continue our production cycle as is? We would probably look to import peat from the Baltic states. Now, number of issues with that. The first and foremost is the quality of the peat. The reason Irish peat has been you know, sent all over the world is because the quality of Irish peat is second to none. There is nothing like it in the world. And, you know, it's commanded a premium price because the structure of Irish peat, it's an older type peat. The sphagnum species that is in Irish bogs is different to the species that formed the Baltic bogs. So, you know, the AFP is different. The structural integrity of the peat is different. Baltic peat tends to break down much faster. So, for a product that we grow, when we grow a wide range of species in pots, you know, over 8 to 14 months, having the compost degrade quickly in the pot, it's, it's not good for us. So Baltic peat in itself is not as good as an Irish option. But the other side of it is, from an environmental standpoint, yes, the carbon miles, and you look at talking about transporting Baltic peat two, 3,000 miles across Europe to come to here to grow plants, I mean, you know, Larry Dorn's nursery is up the road and he's surrounded by bog on all sides. Yes, the irony of it is that he could not use any of the piece that is 50 yards from his tunnel because of the legislative changes. Instead, he has to import peat from two and a half thousand miles away. You know, it's the environmental impact of moving that is, is really insane. And because of, I always call this something, like, we call it greenwashing, you know, making a decision here that will have an environmental impact right here in our local backyard. Yes, it's important, but if it has a detrimental or negative impact on an environment in another country, then what's the point of doing it? You know, the environment isn't local. It's We're living in a global environment at the minute. What we do in Europe has an impact in the Amazon. It has an impact on where coir comes from in the tropics. So I don't buy into the argument that, you know, that some politicians also have stated that, you know, we can look at alternatives like peace and coir. Um, Coir is probably the one that really kind of irks me. And I've heard a number of prominent politicians and, you know, green-leaning politicians say this is a potential alternative for Irish nurseries. And, and the major reason is, it is to me, it's environmentally unsustainable in a major way. And John, as you said, look, these places, coir comes from coconuts, right? Yeah. Coconuts can only be grown in certain parts of the world, and that's subtropics. And these, these are areas which are some of the richest biodiversity habitats in the world. And the only, they can only grow these coconuts if they remove the existing tropical rainforest that's there and tropical jungle so they can increase the coconut plantation. So anything that we do in the Western world that is going to add to that is a recipe for disaster. We've seen that with biofuels, John. You know, I mean, biofuels were all the talk 10, 15 years ago, and there was a huge amount of changes in legislation to encourage the use of biofuels. But what happened to that? Mm. Governments in South America started allowing for the, the stripping of rainforest from the Amazon jungle at an astronomical amount to allow for the production of sugar cane and crops like that, which are used for biofuels. So, you know, it's greenwashing. It's having, it's essentially, we're, we're, we're cleansing our conscience by saying, no, maybe we should protect this here, which yes, we should. Yeah. But the detrimental effect on other parts of the world, from, an, from a climate point of view, it's probably magnified, you know, X number of times, you know. Um, so I want, I want sustainability for my industry. Um, and 
there are options there for us, but I don't think Coyer is it. I think Coyer is one of the most detrimental products um, that is being put on the on the Irish horticultural market from an environmental standpoint. And I'm not even getting into the amount of water that's used to wash Coyer and make it make it sustainable. So yeah. I, I do think there are options there, John. But yeah, it's funny you know, you, you've um, made a couple of points there that are that are really interesting and and they're they're quite important to to highlight again, even even if the majority of my listeners are, are gardeners. So if you even take a step back from that, and there, as I said, there has been a little bit of rhetoric that um, you should be moving away from peat-based compost. Mm. And again, the likes of Coyer is being mentioned for gardeners as being mm. a green alternative. But the reality of it is, whether you're talking about it on an industry scale or in a garden scale, Coyer has to come from, as you rightly said, the subtropics. So you cannot take coir in any format and use it and think that it's and use it in Ireland or the UK and think that that is, you know, a green, a green compost because it has to have traveled miles upon miles to get here. And no matter what way you look at it, it's, it's, it's okay. It's a byproduct. But other than that, by the time you've used that, and as you said, coir for anyone that doesn't know, uh, it generally comes in kind of block format and that has to be, Uh, wet for a period of 24 hours before it it sort of expands again and can be broken up into what looks like you know a compost essentially but it uses massive amounts of water in that process and it has traveled thousands upon thousands of miles prior to landing into your garden or into your nursery so you can you can pretty much rule out that as a viable long-term alternative for people in this neck of the woods um, yeah. In terms of Baltic peat, I've I've seen that um, not so much recently, but a long number of years ago. And from my memory of it, it it's a very very black product and yeah. quite a cold product to grow in. So you know that probably isn't a brilliant option either. Okay, you're you're saying it's the front runner, but it's not the ideal option. And again, the quality issue there. The quality issue, yeah. And uh, again, as you rightly said, making that decision that peat needs to be stopped harvesting in Ireland and horticultural industry is using, is it 1.7% of that total peat harvest? Is that the correct figure? Yeah, it's, 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 yeah, and even the, the commercial horticultural industry, you know, it's, it's half a percent. Right. You know, when we take away peat for private gardens, you know, yeah. it's, it's quite a small amount of peat okay. to grow the trees that we grow. So half a percent. And if, and if, if a decision is being made to for from an environmental reason, <laughs> in Ireland, uh, that doesn't make sense because you guys are going to have to fill that void. And if it comes from wherever it comes from afterwards, you know, your your impact on the environment is much higher long term. Yeah. So, you know, there's just no sense in the decision. And, and the point I was trying to make there, I suppose, is when you look at any of these things, you really need to look at it and take a step back and say, right, OK, it's it's good that people are aware of these things, but don't always jump on the bandwagon of peat being bad, uh, you know, yeah. because what are the alternatives? Look at those. You know, coir is good, peat is bad. It's not the right argument when you stand back and you look at all the facts the whole way along the chain. Yeah. Um, and again, I point out when a nursery produces a plant from a cutting or a seed or a graft or whatever it is, and it ends up in somebody's garden or on some landscaping project, the long-term benefits in terms of carbon fixation, pollinator and all that, you know, there's there's huge benefits there. So that far outweighs the half a percent or that the 
commercial horticultural industry is using or the 1.7 that the total garden peat is using you know so the, yeah. the the argument really doesn't doesn't stand up yeah i know no, absolutely and look john john like there's, there's a great book out there called cradle to cradle right and i read that many years ago and i kind of it really influenced my environmental thinking and essentially what it's saying is it's the traditional line is cradle to grave whereby you take a product and you know what I mean? You try and recycle and upcycle it as many times as you can to get the best possible life out of it. But cradle to gradle is basically a production manifesto where it, it, it challenges people to use an environment, use a product in such a way that every part of that product can be used again and again and again. And essentially what we do is that we grow trees and what, what the product that I manufacturer if you want to call it that but the product that i grow it is cradle to cradle all of the time and all of the way every plant that i use goes back into the earth you know it is planted into the ground it absorbs co2 it produces leaves and leaf molds for the earthworms to improve soil structure it produces berries and fruits for the pollinators the pollen from the flowers and the plants that we grow they're the key to protecting the bees that everyone is upset about you know every product that we deliver has a massive environmental benefit, mm-hmm. you know, and the the whole argument for us behind the peat is, yes, we know there are issues with peat, but what we do and the products that we create, that is the, there for the future benefit of our environment. And it's it's like mining precious metals to produce the batteries for electric vehicles. You know, it's the equivalent of that. We do need to harvest a little bit of peat, certainly for now, maybe not forever, but for now, to be able to produce the products that we produce to help the environment. And we need the support of of the industry and people and the government to allow us to do that. And, you know, I think in time we will get alternatives and we need, we can talk about it, but we need to develop a strategy, and an exit strategy. But at the minute, peat is going to allow us to fulfill our environmental manifesto that we need to do in this country. Yeah. Um, I know you, you mentioned off air as well to sort of, we'll talk about the, the plant security part mm. of the, of the argument. So maybe you could just tell us a bit about that, obviously. Um, yep. Yeah, look at, I mean, look, I, I worked at Chagas as an advisor for the amenity industry for a number of years and I became quite uh, aware and kind of up to date with some of the happenings in terms of plant health and plant passports and insects and pathogens, you know. And I suppose, look, we're in the midst of a of a pandemic here at the minute in this country and around the world, you know, COVID-19 is having an effect on all industries and all people, but there was, there's a pandemic here for the last number of years and, and that's essentially down to the importation of plants from outside of this country. So ash, which is probably nearly our number one tree in this country, is declining rapidly and it's because of the introduction of shellara, you know, um, a fungal pathogen that came in on imported ash trees. And I suppose why I'm looking at the peat crisis is I would be concerned about any action that you know legislation or government takes that can reduce the amount of plants being grown in this country and as a consequence increases the amount of plants being imported from mainland Europe and the potential for bringing pests and diseases into this country which is an island nation you know Shalara John originated I think in Poland that's where it was first seen and over the last 15-20 years you could see track the movement of that disease in ash trees it went from Poland and it slowly started making its way west and went into Germany and then kind of Denmark and France and Britain and then we were the last to get it so it was very obvious that it was coming 
But look, plants move and, you know, it came in eventually. We had the same issue with oak processionary moth in the last kind of 12 months, 18 months. Um, yeah, that's something that hadn't been seen here, but it's actually getting relatively common now. I've, I've, I've seen, you know, different people commenting on, on finding it in, in certain places. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that's that that has a major biosecurity issue for this nation, and it's a major environmental issue. Like we talk about it's protecting the environment, and as I say, I think about the environment on a daily basis. I'm immersed in it, and to me, to see the ash trees and all the hedgerows around the country, you look out any window in Ireland and you look at trees. There's a good chance most of them are ash trees, and there's a good chance that in the next ten years they're going to be dead. You know. It's the same could happen with oak because of oak processionary moth. Now, there has been, to have introduced a ban on the importation of oak above a certain size, which hopefully will stop, you know, the movement of that moth. But there are other pests, there are other diseases out there. You know, I think it's something like almost 80% of, you know, fungal, of pathogens that were introduced to the UK over a 25-year period came in on ornamentals. So that's on ornamentals and horticultural plants. So protecting your local environment and your native environment from pathogens found elsewhere in the world should be the number one priority for, you know, anyone importing plants and anyone who, who cares about the environment. If if we essentially are in a situation whereby we don't have Irish peas to produce our plants, and let's even say we do get an alternative, but the cost of production goes dramatically higher than it is, and it looks like to import alternatives, it's going to mean the cost of plants is a lot higher in this country. What will happen is plants will be imported from countries that can obtain those materials cheaper because they're on the continent and they don't have to pay for getting those materials, you know, big bulky materials like Baltic peat on a ship. They can produce them cheaper and send them into this country cheaper. And as a consequence, you're going to get a large increase in potential for new pests and diseases in this country. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we even look at, there's another one, um, Zayala, you know, that disease that's on, on olives in Italy and uh that can be has the potential to be a catastrophic um, pathogen that that can affect up to 200 different species of plants, many of them in this country. So the Department of Agriculture are trying to make a huge effort at the minute to keep that out of the country. And what's that one called? You I know, hadn't heard of that. One. Uh, Zayella, Zayella. Okay. So it's essentially a disease on olive trees. Okay. You know, so um, it's decimated. You know, olive plantations in Italy, but it 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 can also be found on lots of other species of plants. And you know, that can kill oak trees, that can kill maple trees in this country, kill a lot of native plants. Uh-huh. So, uh, you know, I've stopped importing, you know, olive trees. I don't do it because of the risk of that. It can, it can shut down my nursery for five years if the Department of Agriculture finds it. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it is serious stuff. So I just, I just believe that anything we do as an industry should be number one. You know, we should be looking at our local environments and the consequences of our actions. So, you know, when the decision was made to suspend the movement of ash, you know, I grew a lot of ash. You know, what we did was, we, we we ended up burning it. We didn't try and sell it. We we took an environmentally responsible approach and said, no, we can't risk the movement of ash in this country because there's too much at stake. You know, and I don't want, you know, our industry, you know, to turn to importing huge amounts of plants again from the continent and putting our own local trees and wildlife at, at, at risk, you know. And that's what can happen if we start looking at products such as, you know, Baltic peace and, and the plants grown in the Netherlands and plants grown in Belgium. We're always going to get a certain amount in, but, you know, we always talk about import substitution, or be it talk about import substitution, how develop an Irish industry so that we don't have to rely on in, on imports from Europe. Um, stopping the harvesting of peas at the moment in time is not going to help us in that situation. No, for sure. It sounds like a, it sounds like something that's unnecessary when you look at the numbers 
and you know the the percentage it is so small and the possible implications down the line and then when you look at the the sort of narrow view that harvesting peat for for all purposes is bad that yeah. that allows you and, and i suppose every episode of of the podcast that i release i try to have a takeaway for gardeners and while this one has been sort of more in industry driven in a way um, mm. i think it is important that you know as a takeaway for for gardeners that you look at what you think is an environmentally sound purchasing decision but it may not be like if you think purchasing higher is a good idea or a environmentally friendly idea, just again, take a step back from that and, and look at the whole chain and you will see that it's not always the best way to go. And yeah. hopefully this issue gets resolved. Um, and I suppose it's, it, it needs to get resolved quite quickly. If, okay, you guys are probably okay for Pete for your first, pla- your first potting on, but later on in the year and, you know, Irish nurseries need to continue because, especially like si- since this pandemic kicked in, gardening has become. I would, I won't say it has become uh, a sort of a. It has become more important for people. Um, I was going to say it was a bit of a trend, but no, it has become more important for people because yeah. they haven't had much else to do, and gardening by its nature is just very, very good for people. So, um, I think it's hugely important that that our our industry stays strong and. Uh, you know, stays able to meet the demand that is going to be there from from the end consumer. Yeah, and and John, people people are gardening more because of the environmental uh, impact of gardening. You know, people are aware of environmental yeah. issues, and they're also aware of the fact that you know trees trees are essential to protecting our environment. You know, it, it is it's it's a no brainer from that regard. So I think, in fairness, people have have wised up to that quite quickly. You know, um, I think it was a Greta Thunberg. You know, she was saying. To survive, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. But then she talks, she talks on about you know what else we can do. And she's, I think it was her in a video and her her buddy George Mambio. They say, you know, to protect the environment, there's a magic machine that sucks carbon out of the air. It costs very little and it builds itself. It's called a tree. <laughs> if people want to help the environment, they implore you to plant trees. You know, and the tools are there. We're trying to provide these products. We're, we are actively every day as an industry trying to do what we can to improve the environment of this country, you know. And yeah. um, as I've said, peace, peace should not be harvested for burning. And we are really strong in that. But what we do believe is a small amount of peace managed in a sustainable fashion should be utilized to allow us to, to, to grow the plants and the products that are going to help our environment. And I think there should be a major drive by the government and the EU and major investment and Bordnamona and Chagask and all of these different different kind of organisations should be pulled into investigating sustainable alternatives and ways how we can reduce the amount of peat we use. But you know, you can't just it's not you can't just flick a switch and just say the peat is gone. You have to build up over a number of years and make sure that, you know, I think wood fibre is a good option. You know, the green compost is a good option, John. Yeah. But at the minute there's not enough of it there. And, you know, the consistency and the science of it isn't, isn't good enough at the minute to allow good, sustainable, continuous production of horticulture. Well, we're close to having alternatives, but I think we need a lot of investment from the government to be able to allow us to do that. Yeah, that's, that's hugely important. Like the, the, the green waste is, is a possible long-term alternative uh, in some yeah. format, whether that's blended or, or, or true and true green waste compost. But, but as you rightly said, it, it, it's not consistent enough and there's definitely 
not 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 enough of it out there. There there should be because we're probably all producing enough to to make that compost, but it's not consistent enough, and there isn't enough of it currently to fill that void. Yeah. Um, no, look, uh, it's it's been a great chat, and we've. I think we've covered it pretty in a pretty ba- balanced view, but it is it's very important, and I know I've said it already, but it's very important to t- take a step back and look at the bigger picture and the a decision made for the environment in Ireland. You know, it needs you can't just look at global warming or carbon carbon emissions from an Irish or a you know a regional perspective. It has to be because it's affecting the world. So, yeah. Uh, but I think we've given a very balanced view. Uh, you're, you're your knowledge on it and you're very passionate about it. I heard you speak in uh, a number of years back at, I think it was a nursery stock conference about the uh, ash dieback disease in yeah, the very early days of it. I've got plenty of trouble for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but you were very passionate and, and, and I suppose that, that time it's, it's, well, it could be seven or eight years ago. And yeah. certainly what you were predicting at that time is coming to pass because I see ash course, trees yeah. literally 50 feet from my door. There's a whole, there's a whole uh, length of them, all good, healthy ash. And over the last year, from one end of it, you can see it creeping up along. Uh, so, what a shame. so it it is there, you know, and and it's yeah, spreading. It's a shame. It really is a shame, you know. Yeah. It's a shame. Um, but yeah. Matthew, as I say, a great chat. Um, I hope this issue gets resolved for not just for the industry, but for for the whole gardening community in Ireland, um, because definitely we need to be able to keep producing the quality plants that, that are produced on the island and all the benefits that come with that. So, Matthew, thank you very much for coming on Master My Garden podcast. Thank you very much, John. All the best. So that's been this week's episode. A huge thanks to Matthew for coming on. Yeah, it was a great chat. Um, I know Matthew and his dad for a long time and they're they're very passionate about what they do. And as as he said, coming in as a, as a younger generation, he has, you know, sort of has an environmental hat on, which maybe wouldn't have been there 30 years ago within within the industry or within any, any industry. So when we look at the topic that we talked about today, it's it's with an open mind. And I think it's hugely important that, that we all do that when we're talking about any environmental issues that we look at it with an open mind. If you're enjoying the f- podcast, please share it with all your gardening friends. And you can, if there's any topic you'd like me to cover, just get in touch with me. You can find me on the social channels, Instagram at Master My Garden and Facebook at Master My Garden. So that's been this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And until the next time, Happy gardening.